Modern World History, Patterns of Interaction, Chapter 12, Section 4, Turmoil and Change in Mexico, Setting the Stage. The legacy of Spanish colonialism and long-term political instability that plagued the newly emerging South American nations caused problems for Mexico as well. Mexico, however, had a further issue to contend with, a shared border with the United States. The Colossus of the North, as the United States was known in Latin America, wanted to extend its territory all the way west to the Pacific Ocean but most of the lands in the American Southwest belonged to Mexico. Santa Ana and the Mexican War During the early 19th century, no one dominated Mexican political life more than Antonio López de Santa Ana. Santa Ana played a leading role in Mexico's fight for independence from Spain in 1821. In 1829, he fought against Spain again as the European power tried to regain control of Mexico. Then, in 1833, Santa Ana became Mexico's president. One of Latin America's most powerful Claudios, Santa Ana was a clever politician. He would support a measure one year and oppose it the next if he thought that would keep him in power. His policy seemed to work. Between 1833 and 1855, Santa Ana was Mexico's president four times. He gave up the presidency twice, however, to serve Mexico in a more urgent cause, leading the Mexican army in an effort to retain the territory of Texas. The Texas Revolt in the 1820s, Mexico encouraged American citizens to move to the Mexican territory of Texas to help populate the country. Thousands of English-speaking colonists, or Anglos, answered the call. In return for inexpensive land, they pledged to follow the laws of Mexico. As the Anglo population grew, though, tensions developed between the colonists and Mexico over several issues, including slavery and religion. As a result, many Texas colonists wanted greater self-government, but when Mexico refused to grant this, Stephen Austin, a leading Anglo, encouraged a revolt against Mexico in 1835. Santana led Mexican forces north to try to hold on to the rebellious territory. He won a few early battles, including a bitter fight at the Alamo, a mission in San Antonio. However, his, force, his fortunes changed at the Battle of San Jacinto. His troops were defeated and he was captured. Texan leader Sam Houston released Santa Ana after he promised to respect the independence of Texas. When Santa Ana returned to Mexico in 1836, he was quickly ousted from power. War and the Fall of Santa Ana Santa Ana regained power, though, and fought against the United States again. In 1845, the United States annexed Texas. Outraged Mexicans considered this an act of aggression. In a dispute over the border, the United States invaded Mexico. Santa Ana's army fought valiantly but U.S. troops defeated them after two years of war. In 1848, the two nations signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. The United States received the northern third of what was then Mexico, including California and the American Southwest. Santana went into exile. He returned as dictator one final time, however, in 1853. After his final fall in 1855, he remained in exile for almost 20 years. When he returned to Mexico in 1874, he was poor, blind, powerless, and essentially forgotten. Juarez and La Reforma During the mid-19th century, as Santa Ana's power rose and fell, a liberal reformer, Benito Juarez, strongly influenced the politics of Mexico. Juarez was Santa Ana's complete opposite in the background as well as in goals. Santa Ana came from a well-off Creole family. Juarez was a poor Zapotec Indian who was orphaned at the age of three. 
While Santana put his own personal power first, Juarez worked primarily to serve his country. Juarez rises to power. Ancestry and racial background were important elements of political power and economic success in 19th century Mexico. For that reason, the rise of Benito Juarez was clearly due to his personal leadership qualities. Juarez was raised on a small farm in the Mexican state of Oaxaca. When he was 12, he moved to the city of Oaxaca. He started going to school at age 15, and in 1829, he entered a newly opened state-run university. He received a law degree in 1831. He then returned to the city of Oaxaca, where he opened a law office. Most of his clients were poor people who could not otherwise have afforded legal assistance. Juarez gained a reputation for honesty, integrity, hard work, and good judgment. He was elected to the city legislature and then rose steadily in power. Beginning in 1847, he served as governor of the state of Oaxaca. Juarez works for reform. Throughout the late 1840s and early 1850s, Juarez worked to start a liberal reform movement. He called this movement La Reforma. Its major goals were redistribution of land, separation of church and state, and increased educational opportunities for the poor. In 1853, however, Santa Ana sent Juarez and other leaders of La Reforma into exile. Just two years later, a rebellion against Santa Ana brought down his government. Juarez and other exiled liberal leaders returned to Mexico to deal with their country's tremendous problems. As in other Latin American nations, rich landowners kept most other Mexicans in a cycle of debt and poverty. Liberal leader Ponciano Arriaga described how these circumstances led to great problems for both poor farmers and the government. Quote, There are Mexican landowners who occupy an extent of land greater than the areas of some of our sovereign states, greater even than that of one of several European states. In this vast area, much of which lies idle, deserted, abandoned, live four or five million Mexicans who know no other industry than agriculture, yet are without land or the means to work it and who cannot immigrate in the hopes of bettering their fortunes. How can a hungry, naked, miserable people practice popular government? How can we proclaim the equal rights of men and leave the majority of the nation in this condition? End quote. Not surprisingly, Ariaga's ideas and those of other liberals in government threatened most conservative upper-class Mexicans. Many conservatives responded by launching a rebellion against the liberal government in 1858. They enjoyed some early successes, in battle and seized control of Mexico City. The liberals kept up the fight from their headquarters in the city of Veracruz. Eventually, the liberals gained the upper hand, and after three years of bitter civil war, they defeated the rebels. Juarez became the president of the reunited country after his election in 1861. The French invade Mexico. The end of the civil war did not bring an end to Mexico's troubles, though. Exiled conservatives plotted with some Europeans to reconquer Mexico. In 1862, French ruler Napoleon III responded by sending a large army to Mexico. Within 18 months, France had taken over the country. Napoleon appointed Austrian Archduke Maximilian to rule Mexico as emperor. Juarez and other Mexicans fought against French rule. After five years under siege, the French decided that the struggle was too costly. In 1867, Napoleon ordered the army to withdraw from Mexico. Maximilian was captured and executed. Juarez was re-elected president of Mexico in 1867. He returned to the reforms he had promised more than 10 years earlier. He began rebuilding the country, which had been shattered during years of war. He promoted trade with foreign countries, the opening of new roads, the building of railroads, and the establishment of a telegraph service. 
He set up a national education system separate from that run by the Catholic Church. In 1872, Juarez died of a heart attack. But after a half century of civil strife and chaos, he left his country a legacy of relative peace, progress, and reform. Porfirio Diaz and Order and Progress Juarez's era of reform did not last long, however. In the mid-1870s, a new Claudio, Porfirio Diaz, came to power. Like Juarez, Diaz was an Indian from Oaxaca. He rose through the army and became a noted general in the Civil War and the fight against the French. Diaz expected to be rewarded with a government position for the part he played in the French defeat. Juarez refused his request, however. After this, Diaz opposed Juarez. In 1876, Diaz took control of Mexico by ousting the president. He had the support of the military, whose power had been reduced during and after the Juarez years. Indians and small landowners also supported him, because they thought he would work for more radical land reform. During the Diaz years, elections became meaningless. Diaz offered land, power, or political favors to anyone who supported him. He terrorized many who refused to support him, ordering them to be beaten or put in jail. Using such strong-arm methods, Diaz managed to remain in power until 1911. Over the years, Diaz used a political slogan adapted from a rallying cry of the Juarez era. Juarez called for liberty, order, and progress. Diaz, however, wanted merely order and progress. Diaz's use of dictatorial powers ensured that there was order in Mexico, but the country saw progress under Diaz too. Railroads expanded, banks were built, the currency stabilized, and foreign investment grew. Mexico seemed to be a stable, prospering country. Appearances were deceiving, however. The wealthy acquired more and more land, which they did not put to good use. As a result, food costs rose steadily. Most Mexicans remained poor farmers and workers, and they continued to grow poorer. Revolution and Civil War In the early 1900s, Mexicans from many walks of life began to protest Diaz's harsh rule. Idealistic liberals hungered for liberty. Farm laborers hungered for land. Workers hungered for fairer wages and better working conditions. Even some of Diaz's hand-picked political allies spoke out for reform. A variety of political parties opposed to Diaz began to form. Among the most powerful was a party led by Francisco Madero. Madero begins the revolution. Born into one of Mexico's ten richest families, Francisco Madero was educated in the United States and France. He believed in democracy and wanted to strengthen its hold in Mexico. Madero announced his candidacy for president of Mexico early in 1910. Soon afterwards, Diaz had him arrested. From exile in the United States, Madero called for an armed revolution against Diaz. The Mexican Revolution began slowly. Leaders arose in different parts of Mexico and gathered their own armies. In the north, Francisco Pancho Villa became immensely popular. He had a bold Robin Hood policy of taking money from the rich and giving it to the poor. South of Mexico City, another strong, popular leader, Emiliano Zapata, raised a powerful revolutionary army. Like Villa, Zapata came from a poor family. He was determined to see that land was returned to peasants and small farmers. He wanted the laws reformed to protect their rights. Tierra y libertad, land and liberty, was his battle cry. Villa, Zapata, and other armed revolutionaries won important victories against Diaz's army. By the spring of 1911, Diaz agreed to step down. He called for new elections. Mexican leaders struggle for power. Madero was elected president in November 1911. 
However, his policies were seen as too liberal by some and not revolutionary enough by others. Some of those who had supported Madero, including Villa and Zapata, took up arms against him. In 1913, realizing that he could not hold on to power, Madero resigned. The military leader, General Victoriano Huerta, then took over the presidency. Shortly after, Madero was assassinated, probably on Huerta's orders. Huerta was unpopular with many people, including Villa and Zapata. These revolutionary leaders aligned themselves with Venustiano Carranza, another politician who wanted to overthrow Huerta. Their three armies advanced, seizing the Mexican countryside from Huerta's forces and approaching the capital, Mexico City. They overthrew Huerta only 15 months after he took power. Carranza took control of the government and turned his army on his former revolutionary allies. Both Villa and Zapata continued to fight. In 1919, however, Carranza lured Zapata into a trap and, and murdered him. With Zapata's death, the Civil War also came to an end. More than a million Mexicans had lost their lives. The New Mexican Constitution Carranza began a revision of Mexico's Constitution. It was adopted in 1917. A revolutionary document, that Constitution is still in effect today. As shown in the chart above, it promoted education, land reforms, and workers' rights. Carranza did not support the final version of the Constitution, however, and in 1920, he was overthrown by one of his generals, Álvaro Obregón. Although Obregón seized power violently, he did not remain a dictator. Instead, he supported the reforms the Constitution called for, particularly land reform. He also promoted public education. Mexican public schools taught a common language, Spanish, and stressed nationalism. In this way, his policies helped unite the various regions and peoples of the country. Nevertheless, Obregón was assassinated in 1928. The next year, a new political party, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, arose. Although the PRI did not tolerate opposition, it initiated an ongoing period of peace and political stability in Mexico. While Mexico was struggling towards peace, however, the rest of the world was on the brink of war.